Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. From the St. Louis Public Radio Newsroom, this is The Gateway. It's Monday, November 30th. I'm Wayne Pratt. At the start of the pandemic, ethanol producers feared what mass quarantines would do to their bottom lines. About half of U.S. plants shuttered. You know, we've always been able to sell our ethanol, even if it was at a slight loss. But here, we couldn't even sell our ethanol. The refiners said, we're full. You plan for the worst. To see it actually happen was a shock. Most plants have reopened, but some are questioning if the industry should return to business as normal. We'll have that story in just a few minutes. The number of people hospitalized with coronavirus in the St. Louis area is at another record high, even as hospitalization numbers decline slightly. The St. Louis Metropolitan Pandemic Task Force says the seven-day average of new patients in the area increased yesterday by 13 to 897. That's a record for the third day in a row. The information includes patients from BJC Healthcare, Mercy, SSM Health, and St. Luke's hospital facilities throughout the St. Louis region. The number of COVID patients in Illinois hospitals is also at record levels statewide. That has medical facilities in small towns and rural areas facing unique challenges. Mary Hansen reports. When patients in rural hospitals need more intensive care to treat COVID-19, physicians often move them to larger hospitals, which may be better equipped to care for them. Pat Scow is executive director of the Illinois Critical Access Hospital Network, an association of more than 50 rural hospitals. She says as larger hospitals fill up, transfers are getting more difficult. Sometimes it takes calling two, three, four, five places before you can find an open bed. And and so it takes time to do that, and it worries the family members, it worries staff. Scow says rural hospitals are having to keep patients longer while waiting for a bed to open up in a larger facility. Hospital leaders are preparing for another two to three months of a continued surge. I'm Mary Hansen. Fort Leonard Wood is moving forward with plans for holiday block leave for soldiers despite concerns about coronavirus and travel. The two-week period around Christmas is a rare opportunity for entry-level soldiers to leave the post and see their families. Brigadier General James Bonner is the commander at Fort Leonard Wood. He says the leave is more important than ever. We must take care of the physical, mental, and spiritual health of our military, civilians, and families. The operational tempo of our team in 2020 makes Blockley vital to the well-being of our people. All soldiers leaving and returning from leave will be medically screened and tested if they are symptomatic. All positive cases will go into quarantine. Gun-related suicides among young people in Missouri increased considerably after a change to state regulations. St. Louis Public Radio's Shayla Farzan has more on a new analysis from the University of Missouri. The rate of gun-related suicide among young adults in Missouri had been declining since 1999. But after the state repealed its permit-to-purchase law in 2007, firearm suicides among this group increased by almost 22 percent. The law had required handgun purchasers to submit an application to their local sheriff's office. Dr. Apoorva Bhatt is a psychiatry resident at the University of Missouri-Kansas City and study co-author. 
author. What was really interesting is we saw a pretty drastic decline in non-firearm suicide rates, suggesting that potentially people were switching to firearm methods. Bott says having easier access to guns may have encouraged young Missourians to shift toward this deadlier suicide method. I'm Shayla Farzan, St. Louis Public Radio. Ethanol producers feared a world stuck at home at the start of the pandemic, and gasoline demand plummeted, leading to the closing about half of America's ethanol plants. Most have reopened, but some are questioning if America needs to make as much of the fuel as it once did. Christina Stella reports. Tony Lighting had been watching news of a disease trickle in from China for weeks. His ethanol marketer called to warn him that the coronavirus was going to be a big deal. But he remembers a different moment when it was clear that COVID-19 was coming to Nebraska. 2020 college basketball season is over. Earlier today, the NCAA announced it is canceling the men's and women's basketball tournaments due to coronavirus concerns. I know it sounds crazy, but if they cancel the NCAA basketball tournament, I mean, that's a big deal, right? Lighting is director of operations at Trenton Agri-Products. He's never had to shut down the ethanol plant before. But for the first time in mid-March, idling the plant in southwest Nebraska was on the table. You know, we've always been able to sell our ethanol, even if it was at a slight loss. But here, we couldn't even sell our ethanol. The refiners said, we're full. You plan for the worst. To see it actually happen was a shock. The company ended up running at less than half of its normal capacity. That way, nobody got laid off, and nearby farmers could still sell their corn. About half of Nebraska's 25 ethanol plants couldn't even manage that. Two are still closed. But the ethanol industry's problems started long before COVID-19. People point to many different reasons, but economist Scott Irwin at the University of Illinois says there's a clear problem. The U.S. makes too much ethanol. Or... Was it an industry that had overbuilt in in the period 2015 through 2018 and was suffering from an oversupply situation? He says some companies bet on gasoline with 15 percent ethanol, up from the typical E10 blend. That boom never really happened, and prices stayed low. The fact that the U.S. ethanol industry losses in 2020 were larger pre-COVID than post-COVID, that tells you all you need to know. Roger Berry, the head of Nebraska's ethanol board, disagrees with Irwin's take. There's been a lot of other things that have made the ethanol industry not as profitable as what it should be here the last three and a half, four years. And a large part of that is what's called small refinery exemptions. Federal law requires oil refiners buy and blend a certain amount of ethanol into gasoline. The EPA controls that ratio, but the agency can also waive that requirement for small companies, if they ask. The Trump administration has been pretty friendly to oil refiners. The EPA granted a little over 80 percent of requests in 2017 and 2018. Put that on top of the extreme reduction of driving during the the height of the COVID, and it really was economically damaging to our plants here in the state and across the nation. Despite the experience this year, ethanol advocates like Barry say there's room for growth. He thinks higher ethanol blends could help the U.S. transition away from gasoline. The day will come when we're all driving electric vehicles, but that's going to take time. 
However, we offer a, a fuel right now. Scott Irwin thinks that's a losing battle. He says some closures triggered by COVID-19 could and maybe should be the start of a more scaled-back industry. It's not death now. I just think that it's going to be this kind of long, grinding slog to bring spare capacity out of the industry. I mean, I, I think that's the future of the U.S. ethanol industry. Tony Lighting at Trenton Agriproducts doesn't expect to make a lot of money this year, but he sees some hope. It really just boils down to, will we find ways to prevent the spread of COVID? Will there be a vaccine? And can we avoid any lockdowns or shutdowns? If we can do any of those, that'll certainly provide some certainty going forward. For now, he's just trying to get his business through the winter. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Christina Stella. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. Before wrapping up, we want to note that the longtime classical music critic for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch has died. Sarah Brian Miller battled cancer for years. Miller was also an accomplished mezzo-soprano, singing with the Lyric Opera in Chicago and the Chicago Opera Theater. She wrote for the Chicago Tribune, the New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal. Miller joined the Post-Dispatch in 1998 as the paper's first woman classical music reviewer. The St. Louis Press Club honored Miller last year as its Person of the Year. This year, the St. Louis Chamber Chorus dedicated a world premiere performance by composer Judith Bingham to her. Miller was 68. I'm Wayne Pratt. From the St. Louis Public Radio Newsroom, this has been The Gateway. Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.